0: Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news, scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey.
1: Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Thank you for taking the time to listen to episode eighty-four today from wherever you are tuning in from. Going back to last weekend, I took some time to head to the East Coast, and I was in Boston for Game 7. Definitely the time to be there, but I was happy to get on the plane and out of the city by the time that game ended. That being said, there is just plenty of hockey to talk about in today's episode as we're into Round 2 of the Stanley Cup playoffs as of this week, and... Around here at the Anaheim Ducks offices, I think we're more getting prepared for the NHL draft lottery that's going to be happening on Monday, May 8th, just a few short days away, 5 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I feel like many of us can relate on the emotions heading into it. Nervousness, excitement, anticipation, all of that jazz. I'm feeling all of it, but I think mostly just anticipation for the evening. But in addition to that, I want to say that either way, a top three pick guaranteed is fantastic. No matter where we end up in the draft lineup, we've been putting together the remaining Anaheim Rising prospect reports over the last couple of weeks. So if you want to check those out, we're working on highlighting some top ranked skaters ahead of the draft just to give you a better idea of what kind of caliber players that will be on the Ducks radar heading into June, make sure to look for those on our Anaheim Ducks social media as well as our website. Additionally, with the NHL Draft Lottery on Monday, I'm really excited to tell you that we will be doing a live duck stream show starting at 5 p.m. Myself and Guy Bear will be a part of that. It's going to go for about an hour and a half till about 6.30 on Monday. So make sure to tune into that and look out for more details on that as well. But now I want to go back a little bit to the final game of the Anaheim Ducks regular season. And if you listened to Duck stream that broadcast that night, you probably heard a different voice than usual as our color analyst. Emerson Edom filled that seat on the night against the LA Kings. And he was alongside Steve Carroll for the chaos. That was the final freeway faceoff. We got the chance to catch up with Emerson recently to hear more about the night and what the experience was like going from a player to a coach and a scout to a broadcaster. Enjoy the interview. Let's welcome on to Light the Lamp now, Emerson Edom. Emerson, it's not your first time on DuckStream, but it is your first time on Light the Lamp. Thank you for being with us today. How are you doing?
2: Thanks for having me. I'm fantastic. Uh, Hey, I'm in sunny Southern California, right? So um, (laughs) definitely definitely could be worse. I'm at the rink uh, on top of that, so life couldn't be better.
1: Now you made your color analyst debut on the ducks last game of the season against the LA Kings. I want to start from when you were first, when you first heard about that night, what was your impression of the offer?
2: Well, first off, I, I kind of, uh, to be brutally honest, I, I got confused. I thought I was going to be on TV, mm. um, and then they said Steve, and I was like, okay, radio, you know, which you know I, I was excited, uh, you know, regardless. So um, I, I uh, happened to have a chance to meet up with Steve and, and circle back. I mean, it was it was so it's, it's been so long, uh, you know, since just playing with the Ducks and and kind of our uh, pre game, post game talks uh small talks uh, in the hallways there at, at Honda Center so um you know we we were able to like we've said on air catch up um, at the alumni golf uh tournament and that's just the the great thing about the the alumni golf tournament you get to uh, see familiar faces uh catch up with people that uh, you go way back with and uh so just the small world and to get uh, a call a few few weeks later and uh, uh, you know just for this opportunity I, I was super stoked on it
1: And especially being against the LA Kings for that game, did that add another sense of excitement for you?
2: Um, It it added a a whole nother level of nerves. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, anytime the the ducks um, or, you know, any hockey rivalry, you know, the ducks, uh, Kings, um, you know, it just, it's like a playoff game. So, you know, to, to um, you know, just be right thrown right in the mix. I, I, I was super nervous just because I didn't know what to expect. And then of course, um, anything that, you know, pertain to the rivalry in itself, you know, it, it, it made those, those nerves prior to, uh, hopping on air, you know, that much greater.
1: Was broadcasting ever anything you considered in your career?
2: No, never. Um, and you know, Steve made it so easy to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Like, um, maybe I couldn't even say the same if I, you know, didn't have anyone else by my side, but, uh, you know, he, he was so uh smooth and really calm me down as far as his delivery prior to the game starting hey you know don't worry about it this is you know, I had so many questions for him uh <laughs> and you know uh that was prior to the game and then once he was kind of talking me out of certain situations you know I had fewer and fewer questions and and just more smooth delivery and it, it just seemed natural really after the first period.
1: How was it for you watching the game from that new angle and then putting what you were seeing into words to try to explain it to the listeners?
2: Well, it's super easy uh, in a sense that, you know, the, the, the booth up there, it's not like you're in a, a corner area, side view, like you're right on the red line, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's really no better seat in the house as far as uh, being on top of the players, seeing their jersey number, seeing the full ice um seeing the crowd you know uh, there was there was a couple uh dudes taking off their shirt one guy got <laughs> uh, pied in the face with his shirt off um and it's like you not only was it on the jumbotron but you were right there and you could see the the actual fan as it's on the jumbotron so um that's another layer that that made it super easy um just you know having no better seat in the house and um just a bunch of cool dudes up there just you know making making it easy um uh, you know just uh, 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 making me focus in on, on what's important and kind of tuning out everything that's not important.
1: Not only having the player perspective for you, but also the coaching and the scouting side of it too. What aspect do you think kind of helped you the most heading into that night?
2: I think for sure coaching, I -hmm. I don't think I would have been as polished, uh, say if I was a player injured and, you know, I was given the same opportunity or or some of that matter, um, you know, for me to to understand and know the game that I do, being a coach now, um, it, it helped me way more than than I would, uh, you know, in any other situation. So, um, yeah, definitely being a coach, uh, definitely being a skills coach to that matter, uh, really combining, you know, what coaches think uh, to 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 what makes players successful. I think the combination of those uh, two really helped me.
1: So you were a first round pick from the Ducks back in your time. And when you watch some of the guys like Troy Terry and Trevor Zegris and some of those younger guys who have come into the organization with a big weight on their shoulders, per se, because of the pressures that they have in their development. um, What is that like as a player to grow through that, you know, as you get into the organization and into the NHL?
2: I think it's different. I mean, hats off to any young player in mm-hmm. the league, uh, first round, sixth round. I mean, you know, to have the ability, the confidence, the, the you know, what do I have to lose mentality? It's just, it's tough when there's so much on the line. So I, uh, you know, being that age, 18, 19 years old uh, playing against, you know, guys that have been playing in the league for 20, 20 years and have 20 years worth of knowledge on them. Uh, you know, kudos to anyone. And that uh, in, includes, you know, players like Terry and, and Zegris. It's just two different, you know, really situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in as a first rounder on a, a completely stacked team, um, you know, a, a team, you know, uh, my first year, we, we made it to the playoffs when seven games of Detroit, I, I'd say we were probably, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a second uh, or even a, a, a conference final team that year, just in didn't happen that's the kind of quality I mean you, you, you think of names like Timu um Saku Kuevu I mean the list goes on Getsla per- I mean uh, Bobby Wright. like the list truly goes on and mm-hmm. on about you know high end players and that that's not taken uh by any means anything away from uh you know some of the high caliber talent now but I just think it's just two different scenarios mm-hmm. uh you know they're they're definitely getting a huge opportunity and and they truly are making the most of it Um uh, that's 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 the kind of the 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 thing on top for them and and that just adds to um you know how how you know great they're doing. Um but you know it was myself, Paul Mary, Schmidt Pelly. I mean, we really started we were first line guy or uh, first round picks, at least, you know, myself and Paul Mary, uh uh Devante went in the second round, uh, Stanley Cup winner um at that. And uh, you know, for us young guys to maybe not get so much power play time or but, you know, m- myself and Paul Mary were playing a fourth line role in that. Uh, first playoffs to, uh, together with David Steckel, who mm-hmm. uh, was a, a career energy guy, uh, was a great faceoff guy, and it, it actually worked to our benefit. Uh, but two totally different situations. Um, and uh, hats off to, to Zegers, Terry, any young guy. The Ducks have a lot of young guys. Uh, I was uh, very impressed with with some of the young talent I, I saw calling the game. Um, and and yeah.
1: So your life has always been hockey from a young age to your role now with the Long Beach Shredders. As you continue on throughout your life, how has it been for you to be able to continue to stay involved in hockey and to give back to that next generation too?
2: Yeah, the most important for me, I I did so much traveling. I did so much moving as a player um, just to come home and and finally be stable in a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think any, Coach, that's really you know trying to move up the the food chain. They're dealing with being you know forty, you know thirty, you know, mid thirties to, to all the way up to sixty with that um, you know really instability when it comes to kids, families, school. Um, and I was lucky enough to to maybe have my my first uh, my first born my son Lalo, who's now six years old. He was too young to to maybe even realize, but I, I just feel really grateful. Um, and that's not to take away if you know my career worked out a little bit better or whatever um, that I, I certainly wouldn't be enjoying playing on the biggest stage uh, whatsoever but you you definitely have to uh, you know embrace you know what is really um, special right now and that's just being in, in one house uh, you know one school for the kids and and then making friends and and myself being able to grow the game here and you know still provide opportunities with with the Ducks and and um, and and have all these great things happen. I mean, it's it's truly uh, circumstantially working out fantastic.
1: So I have to ask too: Do you see yourself in an analyst role or a coaching role at a higher level?
2: Hey, you know what? <laughs> if I can follow that, you know, we want you in. Uh, you know, I'm gonna do it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just one of those things. Like like I said, I uh, you know my wife is, and I don't know Lisa Rena. She uh, maybe you you're familiar with with Lisa Rena. Um, and, uh, you know, her quote was, she never turns anything down. I think she was doing a, I don't know if it was a dog food commercial or something like that. And <laughs> that's exactly how I am. Like mm-hmm. if I see myself, um, uh, not only did I enjoy it, not only did I, uh, think it was, it was just a different look at the game. It was, it was able. you know, I, I felt myself be able to uh, learn and, and really dissect games to a whole nother level that I was never able to do before, as far as just details and, and looking at the plays above and, and really diving into each individual play player. Um, and so that was definitely a passion of mine, something that, you know, straight up, Hey, I, I'm ready to go.
1: Emerson, thank you so much for joining us today on duck
2: stream. Oh, uh, thanks for having me.
1: So like I said already, we have so much to get to with the Stanley Cup playoffs happening to catch up on on the last two weeks, really. So I'm going to start with the first round, get you caught up on how those series ended and begin with the Eastern Conference once again. I already mentioned it. I was in Boston for game seven. So we're going to start with the way the Boston Bruins and Florida Panthers series ended on Sunday night Florida getting a four to three overtime win. Absolutely stunning. Boston, after an incredible season and a record season that they had, the Panthers took them down in the first round. Honestly, I don't think many people saw that coming. And I was one of those people that certainly did not. But there was a couple keys that helped the Panthers in that first round. Guys like Matthew Kachuk, Brandon Montour, just to name a few. So going back to that Game 7 on Sunday night, Brandon Montour, I just mentioned his name. He had the game-tying goal with one minute left in the third period to force overtime, and then it was 8.35 into overtime where Carter Verhage closed out the game, netting the winner and sending the Panthers to the second round. Listen to the exciting call by Doug Plaggins on WQAM right now, of that overtime winner.
2: Behind the net, Matthew Kachuk gets there first, and he's upended back behind the goal. Loose puck behind the net, loose at the side of the net, jamming away is Kachuk with Bennett. Along the near boards, Bennett finds it to the circle for Hagee, shot top shelf, he scores! Carter for top shelf, and the Panthers win it in overtime. The Panthers stun the Bruins in Boston, and the Panthers are moving on to round two! Carter for the Panthers have won it over time! 4-3 the final, the Panthers take game seven, and they're moving on!
1: So according to Sportsnet stats, I thought this was really interesting. The 43-point difference between those two teams represents the largest upset in Stanley Cup playoff history for a best-of-seven series. That gives you an idea about how shocking this really was. And then after Game 7, the Bruins did meet with the media to share a couple of closing thoughts for the series. And we found out that Patrice Bergeron actually played through that series with a herniated disc in his back. You always hear all the crazy stories about players in the NHL playing through injuries during the playoffs, just showing how tough hockey really can be, especially at this time of the year. That being one of those examples... Another thing that I found interesting through this series and watching Boston was the woes that they had in the net between Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. Swayman ended up playing game seven and he played really strong for the team. So sort of an interesting situation because Olmark was not completely healthy. And it's crazy because Boston was up at 1.3 to 1 in this series, but Florida went on to have three wins in a row to close it out. And like I mentioned, Brandon Montour leading Florida with six goals in the series while Matthew Kachuk had nine assists totaling 14 points and leading his team. So after 19 years of not getting past a Stanley Cup playoff round, the Toronto Maple Leafs finally did it this year against the Tampa Bay Lightning when they took down Tampa Bay in six games on Saturday night. The game was down in Florida in front of a very passionate Lightning fan base who have kind of been spoiled the last couple years between their Stanley Cups and their playoff success and their regular season success. This was really the first time that the Lightning haven't had playoff success for a couple of years. So the game, though, was tied in the third period going back to this game six when Stevenson Damkos evened it up, but it was John Tavares who would be the hero at 436 into the extra frame of play in overtime. Pretty cool for a guy who grew up a Toronto Maple Leafs fan to have the goal that would send the Leafs to the next round. Listen to the call by Joe Bowen.
0: Into the corner for Nye's. Nye's back of the net for Tavares. Tavares coming out. Sends it in a oh, goal. They score! They score! Holy Mackinac! They score! Morgan Riley! Mo 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 Riley! The leads have won it! They're going to the second round! Do you believe this? Holy Mackinac!
1: Now looking at Toronto in that first round, Mitch Marner was the one who led the team through that round with 11 points. Toronto did take games two, three, and four, and that was pretty huge for them in this series with two of those games coming in overtime. So as expected, it was a very tightly played series, but Toronto finally getting over that hump into the second round now. Another series that closed up in six games as well was the Carolina Hurricanes and New York Islanders. This one happened on Friday night. I can't say I was necessarily surprised by this outcome as I expected Carolina to win this one, but it was in fact a physical series. We see that very often from the New York Islanders in the postseason. They are traditionally a tough team to play against in the playoffs, but Carolina was not phased even being without three of their top six forwards, Max Pacioretty, Andrei Svechnikov and Tevo Taravainen. They were all out for this series. And I think that's one of the most impressive parts about the Hurricanes getting this win and moving on to the next round, just showing their depth in their team, as well as their confidence in one another. They move on to the second round now for the third straight season, but New York ultimately just had a tough time scoring throughout this series as Carolina's defense stood solid through it. And their goaltender also had a great series for the Hurricanes. Frederick Anderson had a 971 save percentage in that first round. And Sebastian Ajo was the one who led the team with seven points. And the last series to wrap up in the Eastern Conference. The Hudson River rivalry did not disappoint going to seven games ending on Monday between the New Jersey Devils and New York Rangers. This was the first playoff series that the Devils won since 2012. That was over a decade ago, and they did so in a fun fashion. They shut out the Rangers for nothing in game seven. Devils goaltender Akira Schmidt made 31 saves in the net during that game seven. But one of the bigger storylines or things that got people talking from this game was a hit by Rangers Jacob Truba on Timo Meyer, who was then injured from this hit in the third period. Truba historically has had some big clean hits in his play. He's just more of a physical player. And this definitely riled up some people on Twitter. But I will say in watching the Devils in this game, they definitely used their speed to outpace New York at times throughout the series in general as well. The Rangers did take the first two games in the series with the Rangers then taking the next three before they split the final two. And it was Devils' Eric Holla that led the team with six points in this series, including four goals of his own. So the Devils moved on to the second round. And that brings me to the matchups in the East in the second round now, beginning with the Florida Panthers and Toronto Maple Leafs. This series got going on Tuesday night this week with the Panthers getting a four to two win. And I have to say, I think that this might have surprised Toronto the way that the Panthers came out in this game. They looked very dangerous and there's really a reason they won the president's trophy during the regular season last year. It's been interesting, too, on the goalie end to watch the way that Florida has developed throughout the playoffs so far. They've been relying on Sergei Bobrovsky now instead of Alex Lyon, who they originally started the series in the first round in the net. But Bobrovsky has four straight wins after finishing game one on top. I don't really see Toronto changing much in their game for this series. They just need to continue generating offensive opportunities, and they're going to have to find a way to shut Matthew Kachuk down because he has been absolute fire in the playoffs this year. I think it almost seems like he's out to prove himself as well because he did join the Panthers this year and had a stellar season and is just continuing that in the playoffs. The other series that we can look at in the second round, the Carolina Hurricanes taking on the New Jersey Devils. Game one was on a Wednesday night, and it was really all Carolina in a 5-1 to one win for their team. They held the Devils to just... 18 total shots in this game, showing their defensive power. And this is going to be a series of speed. In addition to that, both of these teams are very fast paced, but I would say that Carolina definitely outpaced New Jersey in game one. And it's good to note that Carolina is still without three of their top six forwards. Like I mentioned a little bit ago, will these injuries hurt them as they are not fully healthy It doesn't really seem to be an issue, but we'll see as the series goes on. For New Jersey, Jack Hughes has had a great playoff so far, a solid first round with five points in seven games. He's going to be someone that they continue to rely on as he stepped into such a big role this season. Both of these teams have strong penalty kill units, especially through the first round, so the man advantage scoring may not really be present in this series. And one other thing to note, Devils' Ducky Hamilton is playing against his former team in Carolina where he spent three seasons. This series is intriguing on paper, but I think Carolina will continue to hold the upper hand as the more well-rounded team. And Game 2 will be on Friday night this weekend. So for our second interview in this week's episode, we welcomed on Nick Katsunika, who we chatted with on Wednesday this week. Nick has been covering the Stanley Cup playoffs for NHL.com, and he's been out West here with the Seattle Kraken. We got to talk through all of the details of the first round, especially what he saw in Seattle with that historic win from that team, as well as what he's expecting in round two. Take a listen now. Joining Light the Lamp now is NHL.com's Nick Kotsanika. Nick, you've been following along with the Seattle Kraken after that first round of play, in addition to everything else going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I know you got some time to head home after that first round, so how are you doing?
0: Good. That was an exhausting first round, but in a good way. Um, You know, I don't think a lot of people thought that Colorado-Seattle would go seven games, (laughs) let alone that the Kraken would win, but that's what happened, right? So. Uh, It was a fun series. It was great hockey. And uh, I think the Seattle Kraken are a great story.
1: For anyone that is visiting Seattle since you've spent some time there, what is something that you would recommend doing?
0: Well, to me, there is no walk to the rink like there is in Seattle. Mm. Like I would, well, I said walk, but you can take the monorail Mm. from the heart of downtown uh, to Seattle Center. And if you've never been to Seattle, that's where the Space Needle is. And the Space Needle is in this sort of park-like campus of cultural attractions. There's museums, there's like the, the pop music or pop culture museum. There's the Choluli Gardens, right, mm-hmm. uh, with art and sculptures. There's flowers. There's a park. There's stages. It's an unbelievable sort of setting. And you walk through there, and there's the arena. Mm-hmm. And the arena is really cool. It's um, built for the 1962 World's Fair. Uh, it's subterranean so you walk up to it and you basically just see the roof which they preserved when they built the new arena underneath it and when you walk in the arena you're walking in at the top like the entire arena is basically dug into the ground Uh, it's really unlike any other place in the nhl and then i'd grab a coffee at kexp their uh uh, public radio station which has a, a little uh place right next to the arena it's a great place to go so it's a really cool setting uh, if you've never been to Seattle, never been to a game there, uh, I highly recommend it. It's very unique.
1: It's on my list. I haven't been to Seattle at all, and I'd love to go see their arena as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really is. Like, what, One thing I love about the NHL is that there are different flavors, right? You can go to Montreal and get your your old school, original NHL experience with all the history and the French culture. You can go to Nashville and get your country on, right? And uh, listen to all <laughs> a lot of music and they, they make it like a honky tonk, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you close your eyes there, you know you're in Nashville. Vegas is very Vegas, right? Seattle's mm-hmm. very Seattle. You go to Anaheim. I love to go to Anaheim and head to Laguna Beach between the skate and the game. I mean, <laughs> where else can you like dip your toes in the water, you know, in the afternoon right. and then go to the hockey game <laughs> in the evening? Like not many places. So every place in the NHL is a little bit different. And uh, what I really like about Seattle, what they've done there is they've made it feel like Seattle, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, you know, from the music they play uh, to their, you know, the Kraken branding and the uniforms. Um, Like I said, the arena subterranean, that's literal, but figuratively it's submarine. Like when you walk in there, the way they do the lighting, there's LED boards. Mm -hmm. So when you're going down this big escalators down to the main concourse, The LED uh, boards make it seem like you're going underwater, which is just really really cool. So uh, that's one thing I love about uh, traveling around this league.
1: So when you were watching the matchup between the Kraken and the Avalanche, what was the biggest factor from the Kraken that they were able to get over that hump of beating the Avalanche in the first round?
0: Well, coming into the series, I knew it was going to be depth versus elite talent, right? Like you knew the Avalanche had Cale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen. But they really, below that, they lost a lot of the depth from their Stanley Cup team. You knew Seattle was deep. Uh, they had 13 different players score 13 goals or more during the regular season. Uh, I think they tied the Devils for fourth in goals in the National Hockey League in the regular season. I mean, this team could score. And it was spread out. But the way it went in the first round, I was still sort of stunned. I mean, they had 15 players score a goal. Uh, nobody had more than two, so that's balanced offense. Um, and that didn't include Jared McCann, their 40 goal scorer from the regular season, who got hurt in Game Four, and it didn't include Andre Burakovsky, who hasn't played since February 7th. So when you consider that depth, um, to me, that was the absolute number one factor in the series. Number two, they're just relentless, right? Like on the forecheck. Um, they put pressure on you. They made a team with a very good mobile defense look bad in their own end, right? Mm -hmm. They just pressured them. Um, And then at the other end of the ice, they keep you out of the middle, right? They play very structured. It's very hard to get shots through. Um, They win lots of battles all over the ice. And then number three was Philip Grubauer. Mm -hmm. Like he played great for the Avalanche, earned himself a huge contract, goes to Seattle, didn't do so well. The last two regular seasons, his numbers really were not impressive at all in this series, he played like he played for Colorado.
1: Right. And some of that
0: may be just very comfortable in Denver. He won three games in Denver, including game seven, when he made 33 saves, there were times when it was like, he knew where to be. Like, I think he knew his teammates tendencies a bit his old teammates, Mm -hmm. but he just, he played great. Um, And so when you have that combination of depth uh, and competitiveness and goaltending uh, the Seattle Kraken are for real and their problem right now uh, already, they've won one game in the second round. So um, Pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I want to look at that first game in the second round already. Now they're against the Dallas Stars. Joe Pavelski certainly had a game for the stars though in that one. Four goals in the first game of his return. How impressive was that for you to see on the other side for the stars?
0: Uh, unreal. unreal. <laughs> Joe Pavelski, when he was in San Jose, um, and I might have my details off a bit because my memory's bad, but <laughs> you remember that crazy game seven against vegas where he got a concussion mm-hmm. right was knocked out san jose had that amazing rally to win game seven well pavelski sits out almost the whole second round um against colorado after that comes back for game seven What's he do score a goal right off the hop right <laughs> to start off the game <laughs> and lead san jose mm-hmm. to a game seven win right so i thought you know wow that's that's an epic joe pavelski comeback and then he does what he did, you know, last night. Mm-hmm. Four goals. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, you know, you got to think two things. The guy had a concussion. He missed time. And he comes back with that hand-eye coordination. Uh it's just it's remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. The guy's 38 years old. He's one of my favorite stories just in hockey. He, you know, he hates it when I bring it up, but he was a 7th round pick. Right? He mm-hmm. couldn't skate, right? And look what he's turned himself into. Um just an incredible leader uh maybe the best player uh, deflecting pucks uh, in front of the net. Uh, And yet Dallas lost, right? Mm -hmm. Epic Joe Pavelski performance. They came back in that game and Seattle still found a way to win Uh, after coming off a seven game series, right? You would have thought Seattle would be drained, uh, maybe not be able to keep up that forecheck, maybe lose steam late in the game. They win in overtime. So like I said, I think Seattle's for real and Dallas has got its hands full.
1: Do you think that there's anything the Kraken need to adjust in their game play to play against Dallas in this round?
0: To me, I keep doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Now, Dallas is a bit of a different team than Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're deeper. Um, their power play is outstanding. Uh, Colorado's should have been good, but um, just, just had no success against Seattle. Now, Seattle, you, it's deceiving. You look at their regular season numbers. They weren't very good on the PK. They were really good the second half um you know they made some adjustments they were one of the best pks in the league the second half so that's showing up in the playoffs now to me they got to keep stick to their identity right just forecheck um try to keep the puck in the dallas in as much as possible p- pressure on them compete win battles you know you look at the overtime goal right that's just a battle one right they have the puck in the offensive end that's where you get lucky right um puck bounces to yanni gordy wins a battle whips it at the net goes in Right. And that's Mm -hmm. how they're going to win games. Right. We're just with, um, competing, uh, being relentless, um, you know, making your own breaks in a sense. Right. So, and just using their depth, it's a team effort for, uh, Seattle.
1: Now, beyond the Kraken, it was really a first round unlike any other, some really big surprises, I think overall. And one of those was the Boston Bruins, a team that we were talking about a little bit before we got started with this interview. I mean, how surprising was it for you to see them go out in the first round?
0: Well, a shocker, right? (laughs) Like it's, you know, it's similar to Colorado in a sense where Mm -hmm. on the surface, it's a shocker, right? Colorado defending Stanley cup champs, loses to a second year expansion team that finished 30th in the league last year. Well, Seattle is a better team than that, right? They underachieved Mm -hmm. last year, this year, they're a hundred point team. So everybody kind of looks at them as this underdog. They were a pretty good team. And you look at Florida, right? Yes. Florida, 42 points behind Boston. I mean, unbelievable. Except last year, they won the president's trophy. They were the best team in the regular season. Right. They made a coaching change, brought in Matthew Kachuk. They had to adjust to those things, but that was all with an eye toward being better in the playoffs. They had to play playoff hockey down the stretch, right? So they're already in that mode. Mm-hmm. They get in the first round. Boston hasn't had adversity all year. Um, and suddenly that's a recipe for an upset. So on the surface, absolutely it's a shocker. I didn't pick. Florida to win in the first round, but when you really look at it, like, like all the ingredients were there and full marks to the Panthers, right? Like mm-hmm. they just like for no pun intended, but scratched and clawed <laughs> came back in that series. Matthew can has been everything that they wanted him to be when they made that acquisition. Um, you know, and now they're going to be a problem for Toronto.
1: And when you look at their matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs now, I mean, I know Toronto fans are really excited to finally be out of the first round now. But having that tough opponent in the Florida Panthers, what are you expecting to see in the matchup between those two teams?
0: Well, I find it funny that the fans they were chanting, "We want Florida, right? (laughs) Yeah, be careful what you ask for." Yep. Right, and you know this is this is it all yet again, right? Like, do the Leafs now? Oh, we got through the first round, and they sort of exhale right mm-hmm. or do they get you know a boost of confidence from that and keep it rolling i don't know like they're not off to a great start right florida mm-hmm. is going to be physical right it, it really it's like physicality against skill right that yeah. that's kind of your you know, if you want to reduce the the series to two words um you know florida's going to going to pound them they're going to be physical they're going to forecheck they're going to try to force them into mistakes and capitalize right toronto's got to kind of control the game right like Florida wants it hectic and chaotic and mm-hmm. and create mistakes. Toronto needs to play a calm, you know, skilled game and use use their strengths, right? So we'll see what happens, but the way Florida's played down the stretch, like they play playoff style hockey now, right? And they're going to win battles on the wall. And they're going to make your life difficult. They're going to be hard to play against and Florida or uh, Toronto's going to have to overcome that.
1: Did you think that Matthew Kachuk would fit in as well as he has been in Florida?
0: Uh, I mean, I like him as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, would th- be lying to you if I said, I knew he'd do this well. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know Connor McDavid's going to win the heart trophy, but after Connor McDavid, he's a leading candidate, you know, for MVP, just the way that he carried that team, got them in the playoffs, sort of changed their identity a bit. Um, I know that this is what they were looking for mm-hmm. to say that I knew that it was going to work out this well um, I'd be lying to you, but like they, they really changed their identity. I mean, Jonathan Uberdo is a very different type of player, right? Skilled player, put up amazing numbers last year, but this was the change they wanted. Right. And now mm. it's paying off. I've been halfway through the year. People looked at it. I mean, Kachuk was playing well, but the rest of the team wasn't. Right. Um, and I think people were questioning the Panthers. Why did they do this? Um, so sometimes you have to take, you know, a couple steps back um, to move forward.
1: Now, one more matchup from the first round I want to talk about was the New York Rangers and New Jersey Devils in this one. The Devils getting Mm -hmm. the win over that series in seven games. Were you surprised that the Devils were able to pull that one off?
0: Yeah, and the biggest reason is goaltending. Like, Mm -hmm. if you had told me it's Shesterkin against Schmidt, I would said okay, Shesterkin. And Mm -hmm. I did say that, right? Like, I, I picked the Rangers. I thought, to me, that was the Rangers' number one. Um, advantage in that series and it didn't work out. Right. And Mm -hmm. you look at, look at the difference makers that uh, the Rangers added, right. You had Tarasenko, you had Kane, um, you know, and just, I thought that they had enough certainly to beat the devils, but again, the devils finished against them or or, sorry, in front of them in the standings, that's a good team. Mm -hmm. Right. And they've got difference makers too, like Jack Hughes. I think it's, it's been fun to watch him, you know, in playoff, situations right. and the competitiveness that he has He's not a big guy but it's okay right like he's got he's got some bite to him he's got some competitiveness to go with his skills so full marks to the devils but the goaltending part is the is the part that i just i didn't see coming couldn't predict that
1: And now they're going to be taking on the Carolina hurricanes in this second round, a team that has had so many high hopes in the last couple of years for that Stanley cup run. Do you think that the devils could stop the hurricanes in this round using their speed? Maybe.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We'll see about stop. Um, defeat. Yeah. I picked the devils. Um, now if you'd asked me in February, I would have said no way. (laughs) I, I thought Carolina was a top Stanley cup contender, just the way they were playing. Um, Injuries have, have hurt them. They stumbled down the stretch. They did get by the Islanders, but they're pretty beaten up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the biggest mark against Carolina right now. Like, I really like that team healthy yeah. uh, and playing well, but I I question whether they can beat New Jersey just with the state of their roster. I just, the, you know, they lost Svechnikov, They've got other injuries. Um, that's the biggest minus for me for Carolina.
1: Well, Nick, good luck with your travels back to Seattle for the rest of this round and covering the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me.
1: So that interview is a perfect segue into the Western Conference, finishing up the first round matchups that wrapped up early this week, beginning, of course, with the team that we just talked a lot about, the Seattle Kraken versus the Colorado Avalanche, a series that wrapped up on Sunday night. Following the Bruins game, the Kraken getting a two-to-one win in Game Seven. Oliver Bjorkstrand netted two goals in the second period, and that was all Seattle needed. Everett FitzHugh had the call of Bjorkstrand's second goal in the game.
0: Seattle on the near side, foot race for the puck. Here comes Bjorkstrand up the left side, walks in, scores. O oh, B O M A. Oliver Björnstrand from the left circle. He rings the doorbell and in 2 0. 12 38 to play in the second. Oh, do you like apples?
1: How about them apples? Now, Avalanche's Miko Rantanen did net one on the power play that cut the Kraken's lead in half in that game seven. But the Kraken, like I mentioned, managed to hold them off until the end of this game. Now, a big part of this series for me was goaltender Philip Grubauer. He was playing against his former team in Colorado, and I can imagine he was familiar with some of the Avs' tendencies in playing in that game. And I think another difference maker was also Seattle taking game one in this series. That was a big wake-up call for Colorado, so much so that they went on to win games two and three, but Seattle was able to stay in it and use their depth in this series. They are also the first expansion team to take down the defending Stanley cup champions. Next series, the Dallas stars taking on the Minnesota wild. It was a six game series where Dallas closed it out last Friday with a four to one win in Minnesota. The Stars won the final three games in this series, and it really was all Dallas in each of them. Their goaltender, Jake Ottinger, had a 921 save percentage through that first round, and the team was led by Rope Hintz, who had 12 points, including five goals and seven assists. The team, though, was without Joe Pavelski after he missed the final five games of this series as he was in concussion protocol. You just heard a little bit more on that in our interview with Nick Katsunika earlier about Pavelski's return, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later on. The next series seemed a little bit uneventful, maybe because it wrapped up first and it only went to five games, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Vegas getting a four to one series win. The Jets only taking game one with Vegas bouncing back in the next four, putting a lot of pucks on net. And in the net, 19 total goals were scored in the five games for the Golden Knights. And Mark Stone led the team with 10 points in that first round. They're really happy to have him back in Vegas after he missed the final three months of the regular season with a back injury. And also credit Lauren Brossois in the net for Vegas, who only had 27 minutes of postseason experience prior to this year. And he played all five games for Vegas through that series. And the final series to highlight from the first round was the Edmonton Oilers and LA Kings. Of course, we wanted to see Edmonton win this one, right? I mean, at least Ducks fans certainly did. But my reasoning here, I think, is due to the season that we saw from Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. McDavid finishing with 153 points in the regular season. Seidel and second behind him with 128 points in the regular season. They were coming into this playoff year looking to finally maybe get the job done. And they certainly got it done in the first round. The Oilers taking the series in six games on Saturday with a 5-4 win to close it out. The Kings tied up the game in game six in the third period. But a late goal from Kyler Yamamoto at 16.57 in the third sealed the deal. Hear the goal call from Ched Radio, 6.30 a.m.
2: Yamamoto creates for McLeod. Costin. McLeod spins. Yamamoto looking for the net. Top of the left circle. Shots goal!
0: and Edmonton takes a 5-4 lead with
2: 3-0-2 to play.
0: The only thing we're looking for is a high stick right now, and there wasn't one on the play. This line, this tandem of Yamamoto and Coston have been huge difference makers in the hockey game tonight. That's three goals from that tandem. As on a long cycle, Yamamoto elevates the puck through a screen, and the Oilers have been shooting high on Corpus Allo.
2: Top left corner, Kyler Yamamoto, 5-4 Edmonton.
1: Now, at one point in this series, the Kings did have a 2-1 lead after three games, but they just couldn't sustain enough momentum. I thought overall this was an exciting series to watch. LA certainly made it tough on Edmonton and kind of prepared them for this next round. So now we look at the second round matchups in the West, starting with the Seattle Kraken and Dallas Stars. We already talked about it a little bit in our interview earlier with Nick Katsunika. As game one was played on Tuesday this week, the series began in Dallas, and it was a really busy first period for both teams as they jumped out quickly. Six total goals were scored in that first period But as I mentioned earlier, Joe Pavelski was the star in game one, a four goal performance after being out for two weeks. This is just so impressive. And he also became the oldest player in NHL history with four goals in a Stanley Cup playoff game at 38 years old. Seattle, though, did win this game in overtime, 5-4. to four. So we'll see how the Stars respond in their next game. Now, the Stars are kind of the favorite in this series, but there is a reason that Seattle took down Colorado. They've used their depth, and they just seem to continue 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 to do what they were doing in the first round. Dallas though is very tough up front with guys like Rope Hintz, Jason Robertson, Tyler Sagan, a lot of big names on the front end. I think that this might be the series to watch in the West. And the final series to highlight in this week's Light the Lamp, The Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Edmonton Oilers. Game one got going on Wednesday night at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas. You know they always put on a performance. I certainly enjoyed seeing the atmosphere that T-Mobile Arena was on Wednesday on ESPN. That place looked like it was absolutely rocking. Now, Leon Dreisaitl continued to shine in the playoffs in this game with a four-goal performance, and it was kind of cool because that followed up the night after Joe Pavelski's four-goal performance. But the Golden Knights did win this game 6-4, to four, with Jack Eichel having a two-point night. And that's the storyline of this series. Connor McDavid taking on Jack Eichel for the first time in the playoffs. If you go back to the 2015 NHL draft, Connor McDavid was the number one pick going to the Edmonton Oilers, and at number two was Jack Eichel going to the Buffalo Sabres. So pretty cool to see these guys facing off for the first time in the playoffs, both of them having a two point night in game one. Now, McDavid is on a six game point streak after not having any points in game one against the L.A. Kings going back to the first round. So he has certainly bounced back since that point. And on the other side, Vegas had a lot of time off heading into this game as their last game wrapped up on Thursday. So quite a few days off before they got started on the second round. It's going to be a very offensive series. We already saw that in game one. I think these teams are pretty evenly matched overall. Game two is going to be Saturday night still in Vegas. Like I said, a lot of Stanley Cup playoff talk to catch up on, and there's going to be even more next week as we get further into the second round of these playoffs. So now it's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. I mentioned it already. Mark your calendar, set a reminder, whatever you need to do. Monday, May 8th, 5 p.m. Pacific time, tune into our Duck Stream. Draft Lottery Show. We will find out where the Anaheim Ducks will be picking in this year's NHL draft that's going to be in June towards the end of the month in Nashville. Myself and Guy Bear will be a part of the show going live, like I said, at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more Hockey Talk on DuckStream.
0: This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Street.